is the Powerful Nonsense Podcast. Learn everything you need to know to make a living outside the 9 to 5 grind and crush it at life. You'll learn from inspirational guests and in-depth discussions. Go from employee to entrepreneur and start creating a life you love and still pay the bills. So here are your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Let's get on with the show! This podcast is sponsored by the University of Northampton, the first UK university to be awarded the Ashoka U Changemaker Campus status in recognition for their commitment to social entrepreneurship. I've gone and done it. What have you done this time? I've made a purchase. Oh. It's not the new Apple TV. But it probably will be at some point. <laughs> that's on the list. No, I went with something much more... Practical. Uh, no. Yeah, practical is probably yeah, the yeah. right word. Um, I've gone and bought myself some blue filter glasses <laughs> to hack my sleep. You turn into a health hacker, a biohacker. Maybe that's a bit of a bold term. <laughs> <laughs> I probably want to sort my diet out before ha- I label ha- myself a biohacker. Hacking away at your gut with those <laughs> chocolate brownies. Hey, I haven't had a chocolate brownie for quite a while, actually. Mm. So what made you actually decide to get the glasses in? Um, well, you see... I... Did you go back and listen to Adam Stansby's podcast? I didn't, but I should have done. And if you want to sleep hack, you should listen to it too. It's called Go the Fuck to Sleep with Adam Stansby. Check it out. Anyway. <laughs> um... No, what it was, was I was looking at sort of building better habits. And it's something that I've tried to do for a long time, but I think I kind of take on too much at once. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what holds me back. So I said to myself, right, November is sleep month. The only habits I'm trying to form are positive sleep habits. Mm -hmm. So first step was blue filter glasses because I work quite late into the night. So it's not as be- part of my day job. It's not good to be looking at those bright screens. Right, but I don't have much choice in the matter, so mm-hmm. I'm going to get some blue filter glasses. So good I'm move. Be tracking my sleep. You can also get F. Lux on your computer. Yes, but I can't install it with the computer at work. Fair enough. Makes well, I sense. could, but I'd probably get into trouble. So fair enough. Anyway, we're not talking about sleep today. Well, we, well, obviously because we just were. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this episode is another interview episode. We've got a, it's a great one. This one's a good one. We was bloody good. Pretty and happy to get Ash on. Time, but, <laughs> but genuinely, I mean, it's always been anyway. <laughs> this is great. Um, it's with Asha Lee, who was the first marketing director of Just Eat. And don't pretend you don't use Just Eat. Right. We all do. Chocolate brownies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and he's a growth hacker, and he's just set up his own uh, another business. Fair exchange. Fair exchange. Yeah. Which is a business for uh, taxi drivers. Um, so we've got him on to talk about a myriad of stuff. Well, we're going to definitely get him back on as well because I definitely. think we we ne- we definitely didn't cover as much as we had, had planned. No. Um, but there's loads of stuff talking about using data to find new trends. Um, idea creation. Idea creation in general, yeah. So Some skills he thinks a lot of young people are lacking today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and also he's a fellow Brummie, so peace. We're, we're getting too many Brummies. <laughs> What's happening? There's nothing wrong with too many Brummies. You can't, there is no such thing as too many Brummies. Fair enough. Just because you're from London. <laughs> Although I feel like I don't represent... I should probably turn my Brummie accent on a little bit more. Every now and then. Represent. Maybe you should intro the uh, <laughs> this interview. Inter- okay. All right. <laughs> so, here we are then. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashley. 
So, Ash, welcome to the Powerful Nonsense podcast. Hi, guys. So, um, it'd be great if you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you've been doing for the last 10 to 15 years. So, um, uh, at the age of 19, I uh, developed my first website. Um, I was uh, living in the attic uh, of my mom and my parents' house in Birmingham. And uh, I decided to learn how to make websites. And I built an e-commerce website selling shoes online. And uh, it was interesting because I met a friend of mine who was actually a shoe manufacturer, and uh, he developed this website. And uh, well, I developed this website with him, and uh, I decided to sell shoes online. And uh, it went really well for a year, and it sold out to him. And then an agency saw me at a startup event um, presenting this website, and they invited me to London. And so I got a rucksack, came to London, and they say the rest was history after that. So I started working at an agency, started working at a public company. The dot-com bubble burst. Um, I was living in Canary Wharf, had a penthouse there, lived a, lo- lived a life, um, <laughs> <laughs> lived a life as most young, young people like myself would do, coming from Birmingham, just coming uh, from the inner city of Birmingham and realizing that actually, wow, there's a, there's a big world out here. Um, so I did that uh, in uh, London whilst I was here and uh, dot-com bubble burst, I started working for freelance. Then I got married. And when I got married, uh, I decided them. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I got married, I decided actually I think I need to do a full time job now because I was doing a lot of contract work, a lot of consultancy work, and uh, it's all very bitty in terms of I was in Nottingham once, and I was Leeds, then I was you know all over the UK traveling, uh, Milton Keynes once, then Dunstable, and then Luton, and then all over the place. Um, I decided I think that was wasn't going to suit my lifestyle, and I went came back to London again, and uh, a company called Tarsus Group. So Tarsus Group um, uh, acquired an internet company. So there's a lot of acquisitions happening in those days mm-hmm. with uh, internet companies. And Tarsus Group was an events uh, company. It was on the stock market, big, massive company on the stock market, did events all over the world. They decided to buy this directory business called, um, what's it called? Uh, Tarsus Group. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of the directory company. But they bought this directory company and they spent £18 million buying this directory company and yet owned lots of different websites. And when they bought it, they didn't know, they didn't have any in-house skills of people who knew online marketing, digital marketing or e-commerce for that matter. So they brought me on board and said, right, Ash, um, sort it out. Um, you're going to be the new media manager. I mean, what a funky job title it was in those days. New media. <laughs> I don't know what it was called, new media in those days. But um, yeah, so they called me the new media marketing manager. They brought me in and decided, they asked me to um, consolidate the business, which I did. Um, consolidated business, won a couple of awards, uh, did really well there, was there for over five years. Um, and, you know, whilst I was settling down uh, with the wife in, in London, I thought, hey, you know, this is going well. Had a baby. And I thought, hmm, I need to do something more now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, things have changed again. And I was like, right, do, do I change or do I carry on? And, you know, when you're, when you're, I've always done things, uh, lots of different businesses on the side, even when I was at Tarsus, even, you know, I sold a couple of businesses whilst I was working for other companies, the, you know, a property website, a directory website. I was always dabbling in stuff, always trying to create value um, and dabble, dabbling in stuff. And, uh, so um, uh, Jesper Book from uh, Justique came along. Um, he saw me present at a, uh, some conference and he goes, I really like you, Ash, and uh, I want you to join my company. I've just come to UK. Um, I want to set up Justique in the UK. And I was like, nah, mate, it's not going to work here. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually my response. It's just not going to work here. And I was like, and he's like, what do you mean it's not going to work here? He goes, I've already started doing it. I've got restaurants. We'll go, How many orders have you got? And it was tiny. It was literally tiny. It was in like, it was like hundreds, right? And I was like, that's not going to work. And then I was like, <laughs> you know, I thought about it. And you know, after six months of uh, Jesper trying to, he kept 
and stuff and kept in touch with me. And I was like, you know what? I think this is going to have some legs because after a while of growth and seeing it, I was like, mm, online takeaways. Everybody else was like, hey, it's not going to work, Ash. What are you doing? You're going to leave a full-time job and you've got a baby now. And, you know, what are you going to do? You know, this is crazy what you're doing. And I was like, look. So I did my research. I gave Jesper a number. I said, once you've got an X number of restaurants on board, I think it was 600 at the time, then give me a call and I'll actually come and join you. So when he got 600 restaurants on board, he called me again and goes, Ash, what do you think? And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to come and join you. But that was only after doing my own due diligence, though. I did my own ordering of the pizza and did some other stuff online. I was like, let me try it out first and see if it's right. Because it was a big move. Um, and I was taking a salary cut and it was all about equity at the time. So I was like, right. I'm going to join a startup. I'm going to get some equity in this startup, and uh, let's get let's let's get going. And so I was just eat, um, and then I was the you know I was there for I was the first marketing director at Just Eat, the third senior employee in the UK, and we pretty much built Just Eat from the ground up um, in the wow. UK from there. And we were based out in a little scruffy office out in Edgware. Um, <laughs> I moved to Edgware so I can walk into the office because I was working such long hours. Um, and the good news with that was that we built it up and uh, we IPO'd that uh, last year for 1.5 billion, which is wow. fantastic uh, news for all the yeah. all the guys that were involved in it. Um, and fast track forward to now, um, I run a company called Fair Exchange, which is an online lead generation company for the minicab and taxi market. And also I do some investment and I've got a project out in Dubai as well. So that's, wow. that's, that's a quick roundup of what I've been doing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's loads to unpack there. <laughs> Don't know where to start, really. But I think before we get into kind of like Justy and Fair Exchange yeah. that you're working on now, I think it'd be great to kind of just go back to that mindset you had when you were sitting up in that attic and you were just yeah. like creating websites. Like, how did mm. you even learn to create websites? Or, I mean, probably back then it was kind of a very rare sort of skill set to have. Yeah, I imagine this was, what, late 90s? Based yeah, on what right. you said about the dot com bubble, oh, absolutely, that's right, Wayne. So it, well, <laughs> the funny thing was, I mean, I I, I got a job at um, Staples and PC World, and uh, this was supposed to be my gap year before I went to university. So all my friends went off to university. I decided to take a gap year because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Um, so they went off and became dentists and lawyers and doctors and whatnot. Um, and I was like, mm, I do not know what I want to do. So I went to PC World and <laughs> Staples, um, and I started. <laughs> And I was interested in computers, just generally interested in computers. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- I didn't have a PC at home at this t- uh, point, guys. So I had no PC at home. Uh, I had no computer in my house until the age of 19. Um, so I was like, okay, um, yeah, I want to start these computer things. And the, the internet was just coming out then. So it was 33.3K modems and a 56.6K modems. That wow. was just a new thing. <laughs> this thing. Whoa, this 56K modem, guys, better than 33K. So, <laughs> everyone was just getting plugged into it and... Uh, um, I was at uh, PC uh, Staples, and uh, one of the things that the manager said to me was, "Look, he goes, I became the top salesperson in PC uh, in Staples out of fifty six stores within six months. I was just really good at selling computers and basically being there for people and giving them advice around it. I read every, everything around computers, how they were built, uh, what they could do, um, all sorts of stuff. And I became one of the top salesperson then. But one of the things that the uh, the manager said to me there was, "Look, I goes, Ash, I want I want to put you towards uh, management training." And become a manager here. And I said to him, look, mate, I'm not going to work till 9 o'clock stocking shelves. Um, I just can't <laughs> be doing this. And he goes like, yeah. And he, he turned around to him and goes, actually, you know, you're really good at everything. But there's only one weakness. I go, what is it? And he goes like, well, I've been looking at the um, uh, CCTV footage around the store. <laughs> and uh, I've noticed that you spend too much time in the book aisle uh, in the store. Because they used to have these two book aisles with all these latest you know, dummies books about how to do programming, development, mm-hmm. and so on. 
and you spent too much time there. And I don't know why you're spending too much time there. And I was like, yeah, I'm reading the books. <laughs> so it showed me the CCTV footage. And it goes, look, you're just sitting here. And 20 minutes later, you've decided to put another product on the shelf. And we just spent 20 minutes and it's like, oh, yeah, I got really into it really interesting this web development book is so good you know <laughs> it's, it's like that paranormal activity where the person just standing there for hours on cctv yeah, yeah literally it was literally like that and uh, it was like i don't get what you're doing here and because i was reading the book and he goes you're not allowed to read the books come on um but this was after this was after um uh, the clo- shop closed so the store used to close and they used to do like a stock take and thing. so this was after the time so there was no customers on the on the on the store for uh floor then at this time but anyhow i spent all my time in the book aisle and that's how i learned how to do web development and programming i learned it from reading the books in the book aisle of staples and then i came an opportunity to buy one of those display shelf pcs so in the when you're an employee you get like opportunity to buy stuff from the from work and they had a display shelf pc available and they're like ash you can have this one um it's an ibm it's uh it's really cheap why don't you have it and i was like okay i'll take it so i took that that was my first pc i took and then I took that home and um, I connected it up on the internet uh, with a 56k modem. Um, I uh, made the phone line engage for two years. Uh, <laughs> my parents were pulling their hair out. Um, my my dad literally pulled all the wires out of the internet because you used to have to, you have to plug in. You have to used to plug the wire into the phone lead, mm. and uh-huh, the phone I remember that. engaged every time you were on the internet. So anyone trying to call couldn't get through. Literally. So when someone did call, you had to stop the call, stop the internet, stop what I was doing and go in and, and then make a phone call and like, right, are you off? No, I'm not. Oh, and it was just a hassle, such a hassle. Though. But dad pulled out all the wires one day and goes, right, you're not using this internet bloody thing ever again. <laughs> and, and, I, and I remind him about that um, uh, now when I go back home and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, son. <laughs> but that's where it all started. So that's actually how it started. So that's how I learned it. And then I just got online and I think it was a Microsoft package program that was um, available. I think it was a... Uh, front page or something that was available like, like a web development package mm-hmm. out of the box like a publishing package mm-hmm. and uh, i started learning how to do html um basic style shooting stuff basic stuff you know i set my first website called top 10 of everything so top 10 <laughs> top 10 videos i embedded videos and it never worked what the hell am i trying to do so i did all this kind of fun- funky stuff and i just made local sites and then i realized that actually people were trying to buy stuff online um, and I was like okay people are buying stuff online how do I make this thing where you buy stuff online I didn't know it was called e-commerce in those days um, and a friend of mine r- runs a couple of shoe shops and a shoe manufacturing unit and he's like oh yeah I've heard this new thing about websites I'm thinking that I want to sell stuff online and I was like all right and then I started to develop the website and uh, got some people to work with me to develop the website the whole tracking system and uh, we started selling shoes online all over the world um, I had a natural hack at getting the website ranked on the search engines. In those days, it was Alta Vista and all the boring search engines you don't hear about now. <laughs> um, and I was had a natural knack at just driving traffic to it really cheaply. So it's kind of like you didn't have to have a lot of money to market it. Mm. But we learned a lot. And uh, one of the things that I learned, guys, was that uh, we kept running out of sh- we kept running out of stock on the on the shoe site. And I was like. Why would we keep running out of stock on the shoe site? Um, you know, I kept asking my friends. I, I don't understand how this worked because I don't know how the shoe industry worked. I was just like working with him. He's like, look, when we were selling ladies' shoes, and when we were selling ladies' shoes, he was, he, my friend said to me, my partner said to me at the time, he goes, we know when you buy ladies' shoes, they only come in certain limited limited sizes because we know that most women's sho- women's feet are smaller, so they only come in limited sizes when they're larger. So you got you know you got ten pieces of uh, size five you know, five pieces of size seven and they, and you get less pieces as the sizes go up in terms of stock holding because less women have bigger feet. 
But what we found was that more and more people were ordering the bigger shoes on our site. And I thought to myself, why, why, why is this happening? And we kept running out of shoes. We kept running out of stock. Yet we had loads of all these other shoes. And I was like, I don't understand. Why do we keep running out of stock? I just couldn't get it. But then I realized, having looked into, deep, looking into it deeper, I looked at the people who were ordering these shoes. And what we've noticed was that they were people ordering shoes in like three or four pairs of shoes at a time. And they were ordering the large sizes. And then I, I didn't realize this at the time. Then I looked at it even deeper. And I was like, okay, what is happening here? So then I looked at it and I said, okay, who's actually ordering these shoes at a big, you know, what we call basket sizes and those. So they were ordering three or four pairs of shoes, like 200 pounds, 300 pounds pairs of shoes um, at a time at all large sizes. And I noticed that most of them were men. Mm-hmm. I thought that's where you were going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, we found a market that we never knew existed. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, it's crazy. And that what it was, we found a market that never existed. Basically, it was like, obviously, it was men who like to wear women's shoes and all these other, you know, transvestites and whatever they were, uh, who were ordering shoes on our site. And we didn't even know that there's a whole market then. All these guys obviously couldn't go into the shops to try their right. shoes on and buy them. They used to buy them online. And we had all these fancy ladies' shoes that they were buying. And I was like, that's crazy. So wow. there was a little niche in that. In the, but that was just that was my first kind of experience of doing data insight mm-hmm. around what's happening. I didn't know at first what it was. I was just, right, let's just sell shoes online. You know, it was, but it was, the, uh, it was the first kind of what I call tipping point in my mind about, oh, right, we, we can do data insights. We can think about who the people are and we can look at the data around it. And that really got me excited because I was like, wow, that's crazy. Because then you can, you can change things and suit things to the marketplace. It's not what you want to do. It's what you think the market would, is wanting and you move more towards that. And that was the interesting story around that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's interesting about that as well is actually the timing of it, because really all of that stuff was very ahead of uh, of its time, really. I mean, not that it was like 50 years ago, but even even like in the, in the late 90s, early noughties, that was still very new stuff. Like the data mining, certainly from websites, was, was a new thing. So Absolutely, Wayne. And uh, I had these log file analysis tools and I, I went to the agency and I was t- the agency who hired me, they were like, all right, tell me more about your site. And I was like, look, look at all these log files. This is, look, look at the data. Look where people are coming from. And in those days, there wasn't any of that kind of data mm-hmm. manipulation or kind of understanding of things. And there were data standard log file analysis tools that I was using. Um, and they were really impressed. And I was like, I thought this was normal. <laughs> <laughs> but it obviously wasn't normal at the time. And they actually brought me in to help with that type of stuff with their clients. And I was like, okay, that's quite interesting. And the insights we had, but you're right. It was the first early days of uh, data, understanding data in a different way. And how did you sort of get sold on the internet? Because obviously if you were seeing all your friends going off being lawyers and whatever else they were doing, like how did you know that this was somewhere to actually help sort of put your eggs? Yeah, it's a, uh, that's a good question actually, Chen, uh, because I didn't. Um, the internet came at a time when I was it, was, it was just perfect timing for me. You know, everybody was just, 56k modems, you couldn't do much, to be honest. Um, what drove me on the internet was just the ability for me to be able to create things and put things out to the world and get so many people around the world looking at it in, in such an easy way. And that got me excited that I could talk to anybody around the world. I could email uh, and send you know, messages to anybody. Uh, you know, I my first email address. I had a crazy email address. I remember the time when all the domain names were available, and I was like, "Damn, I should have bought everything." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you look back and go, "Damn, I mean, uh, Amazon Books, Books.com was available. For God's sake, all of them were available." <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, and you don't clock onto those type of things then. Uh, mm-hmm. Domain names, and I bought one or two, and I was like, "Ooh," and they were quite expensive for me at that time because I was like, obviously starting out, and I was like, 
Um, but what got me interested was the ability to be able to create and be creative and do stuff and be able to do stuff. And I think one of the things uh, in life is that it's very hard when you go out to life, you get a lot of rejection. Um, but with online, what I liked about it was that if I got rejection, I just ignored it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it made it easy for me to deal with at that age. Because obviously when you're that age, you, you know, you, you want to get approval. And I was doing something completely different. And I always thought I was a kind of like a, my parents always used to say to me that, you know, you know, Ash, you know, everyone's walking that way and you're always walking the opposite way. Uh, so I'm always doing the opposite of what most people are doing. And mm-hmm. when you look at James Kahn, one of my um, uh, uh, mentors, and I look at him and say, actually, he always says, and he's written it in his book, that actually, if you want to be successful, do the opposite of the masses because you're not going to do what you know, what the masses are going to be doing. You have to do something different. And I've always been doing that naturally as a, as a younger person. Anyhow, I didn't know I was doing that at the time, but I was doing it anyway. I was always going the opposite way of, everyone. I was always trying something different and doing something in, intuitive. And I think the reason for that was mainly because I had no fear. Um, and number two, I wasn't, didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, so I had no reason, I had no kind of framework to work by. And I'd, all, I'd, all I went by was this feeling of wanting to do rather than should do. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you go into school, it's all about you should do this, you should do this, should do this. But actually, what do you want to do? Um, and I think that's once you know what you want to do, mm-hmm. you you don't look at the rules. You just do what you want to do and start creating. Um, and of course, there's rules you have to live within. But I broke a lot of rules. Um, in fact, you know, Facebook and Hotmail and all these other companies broke a lot of rules. A lot of the big apps that you see and the, and the games that you see, they broke a lot of rules. Um, when I mean rules, I mean things that they did. There were like growth hacks at the time, you know, how to make the most of Facebook to get more coverage of your app and so on and so forth. Uh, Airbnb, they broke the rules. They, you know, they used them um, uh, uh, Craigslist and they, you know, got a piece of code and everything went onto Craigslist and they broke. So it wasn't. There's was no rules there. It was just you do what you think is going to work for what you do. So that's what I did, and that's what got me excited about it. And do you think because it's a, it's an interesting sort of debate? This kind of not so much appeared in my own head, but kind of come into my consciousness a little bit about uh, business planning because everybody's always like, oh, you need to have a business plan and this, that and the other. And, and But from the sounds of things, you're very much more of a, let's just do it, see if it works and then worry about that stuff later. I think um, it's a very good question, actually. A lot of people ask me about business planning. A lot of the businesses I started never had a business plan per se. Mm-hmm. They started from uh, an insight um, and a need and, and a want and a, and a problem. Most of the things started from a problem. And um, I mean, I've written an article recently about you know business plans. And one of the things I've said in there is that you know when you do business, when you, when you do business plans, they're all about projections and going forward. Mm-hmm. And when you hit the marketplace, it com- things change really massively. You know, mm-hmm. Jason Fried um, uh, from Thirty Seven Signals, a guy who did Basecamp, said once, projections are bullshit. They're just guesses. <laughs> And this was his what he said. Projections are bullshit. They're just guesses. So yeah. one of the things I do use right now is, um, uh, you know, um, I find business plans are very cookie cutter. You know, yeah. in the early days when I tried to do a business, nobody understood what I was trying to do because no one knew what online e-commerce marketplaces, what this was, what this concept was. So when you went, when I went to the um, uh, local, you know, business uh, uh, help, you know, the government agencies help businesses and so on, like business startups and all these. They had no idea what the hell I was talking about. They couldn't help me. All they could say to me is, right, yeah, do you want to open a fish and chip shop or a takeaway? Or I was like, no, no, I don't. I'm opening, I'm doing something online. You know, like, it's online. It's like, like what? I was like, no, mate. And they just had no idea what I was talking about. So I sat there with no kind of 
early mentors. And one of the things I do, which is why I want to give back now, I'm doing this podcast and doing all these other things, is that there was not many people out there who could mentor me and guide me. My father didn't know much about business in that sense. My mom was always like, what are you trying to do? Just go to university to study, de-risk everything. Um, and I was going against the grain on everything. Mm-hmm. And I never had people around me. and had some business people around me, but they were all kind of brick and mortar business people, people who own shops, people who own other things and you know, that type of stuff. So that's, that's the key thing with, them, uh, with, with business plans. You, know, you, you write a business plan and it's out of date by the time you finished it. Mm-hmm. So why write a business plan? What I say is I use a tool called a business canvas now, which is fantastic. Um, <coughs> The canvas tool. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah we I've, used it. I've used it. Yeah. We used it itself for our podcast actually a couple of oh, months fantastic. back. <laughs> so, I, I use the business canvas now, and I, there's another one called Lean Canvas by uh-huh. an, another guy called Ash Marai. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. I actually went to one of his sessions with him when he came to uh, London, and uh, he does something a bit more specific called the Lean Canvas, which is more towards tech products, which is what I, I like a bit more because it's more f- specific to what we're doing uh, in my industry. But um, uh, I use that, and I think the first point is to start to think about filling that in. Uh, that it's a one-page document and it gets you to think properly. I always think that you need to develop something as you go along, but you need to have a basic idea of what the need is and the problems are that you're trying to solve mm-hmm. and have some kind of basic numbers that you want to use to measure yourself by by going forward. And that's what a business plan is for yourself because you're using a business plan to guide the strategy of your business. If you're using a business plan to raise money, it's a slightly different concept of what a business plan is there. Mm-hmm. Or if you're using a business plan for an angel investment, it's a different reason for why you're doing it. If you're using a business plan for your own traction numbers to get started to build something, then it's a different type of business plan. So it depends on what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to go to. I mean, some people ask for a business plan if you want to get investment, and rightly so. They're putting money in it. They want to know what your plan is. Mm-hmm. And so you need to develop a business plan. But most people know business plans are not really going to uh, make a success of your business because things change so often and the business plan is out of date by the time you get there. Um, so, sorry, do you want to go? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you said that you have um, you obviously use a lot of your intuition, have a lot of insights and kind of know about trends. Like for someone who is kind of always go, maybe goes with the herd, how do you get more sort of that ability to see trends, to see these insights? Like why did you have that ability? In terms of uh, what do you mean by that, Jim? Just kind of like um, you see gaps, or you kind of, or, or do you just make sure that if everyone's going this way, I'm definitely going to go the opposite way? How do you know to, how do you connect with what you feel is right oh, okay. to go and so, pursue? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So I think that comes uh, intuitively to the person. So, you know, some people are very good at uh, being analytical, some people are very good at uh, touchy feeling uh, opportunities. I'm very good at seeing problems and um, uh, just seeing an, a problem. Um, you know, like uh, when I see a problem, I always want to make it easier. It's like, why, why do we, why do we have to do it the way we have to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing. And if, if it's hard for me to do because I'm a simple guy, you know, I'm a simple guy. I like doing things in a simple way. I'm not the smartest cookie around, but a lot of people might say that. But I'm, I like to do things in a simple way to understand it. Simplicity is, you know, simplicity is beautiful in my mind. Mm-hmm. And if you try to make things simple and you break it down, then you get to understand where the kind of building blocks around something are. And then then you find issues where even a part of a building block you can change or make it better to improve the overall efficiency of that end product. And so I kind of like find things around general life. You know, everything that I do in life, if I, if I find it difficult to do something, then I'm like, why is this difficult to do? Is it just me or is it just that um, everybody's finding the same difficulty? And then I kind of like think about it and go, okay, there must be, there must be a better solution to this. And there are usually lots of good solutions out there. There are lots of good solutions out there. And one of the things is that, you know, people say, oh, I'm going to speak to the experts about this issue. 
But when you talk to an expert, the experts only know what was. They don't know what is going to be. And so I kind of just think, what is, what is, they, this doesn't exist. No one can actually help you about what you're trying to think about sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you can't go to an expert to give advice around it. it because they don't know what the future is. And nobody does. So going to an expert at that point is not the right thing either. So you have to use your own intuition. You have to feel the opportunities out. And you have to make sure that you don't ask your mom or your friend, is it a good idea? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like um, it's a, this actually came up in a blog post I was reading yesterday, which is kind of uh, the Steve Jobs mantra of there's got to be a better way. And also at the same time, the other Steve Jobs mantra, which is how can anybody know what it is they want if they've never even seen it? And I think it's really interesting when you start exploring the fringes of uh, people's problems and even the fringes of current uh, patterns, just when you start seeing the potential opportunities for improvement, I always find really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see, when, you, when you're starting a business, then, uh, that, that when you're, or you're thinking of ideas, and one of the things I do, the first thing I try and do is when I come up with a, a problem, I see a problem and I look at it and go, okay, is there a better way of doing this? But then I think about it and go, actually, what am I thinking about? Is this what I, I classify it in two different ways? Is this a vitamin or is it a painkiller? A, a mm. vitamin is something that you just take to get yourself better and you don't really need it, but you just want to take it anyhow. And a painkiller is that you're actually solving a real pain, so you need to take it. And mm-hmm. when I come up, when I you know, bump into ideas all the time, the first thing I try and do is classify is it a vitamin or a painkiller? Because I want to know. Sometimes they cross over. Is it a painkiller? If it's a painkiller, I look into it much deeper because I go, actually, this is a painkiller. People are going to want this and need this, actually. Is it a vitamin? Then people just want it. And it's a different type of scenario in how you think about it and how you think about the idea. So I try and classify my you know, ideas and thoughts in those kind of two uh, categories straight away. And then it helps me think about how I should go down that route. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's wrong if it's a vitamin. It just means it's a different type of business. I like to be involved in more kind of painkiller businesses because those businesses are resolving a real pain for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a solution will be something that you can... Uh, develop and hopefully monetize mm-hmm. whereas in a vitamin you not you might not always monetize it it might be great people might want it but you might not be able to monetize it so that's where you have to start to think about how uh, what you're going to create but at the end of the day just create create as much as you can mm-hmm. the more you create the more opportunities you're going to get and the more s- solutions you get to the marketplace mm-hmm. the better it is but pick and choose what you want to do if it's a business if it's a business pick and choose yeah um, and i think that's where it comes down to what do you pick and choose and i let go of a lot of stuff um and i never used to um, I've got a massive list of uh, ideas that I want to do, but when I speak to my mentors, like, actually, you got to focus, you got to focus, and that's true. You have to focus. Yeah. But when you're an ideas person like myself, you just want to do everything and anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news is that when you have lots of ideas, a lot of them interconnect, and you can kill an idea and just interconnect it to another idea. So they're mm-hmm. all interconnecting in some way, uh, mm-hmm. because that's your your experiences and your wisdoms and your life experiences and where you travel and what you've done in life all come into play in that. So the way to get more ideas is to go out and get out the office and go out and meet people and talk to people and go out and travel and do stuff. That's the way you find more ideas. You can't sit on the internet and behind uh, mm-hmm. on a computer or in an office and, or talk to your mates and your own circle to find ideas. You have to get out there and experience life. And that's how ideas come. We interrupt this broadcast of Powerful Nonsense to talk about our sponsors for the show. First of all, we've got to thank the University of Northampton who've been sponsoring us for quite a while. Uh, thank you to them for our support. Um, if you are looking to go to university and you're thinking about setting up your own side gig as well, your own business, then I'd say Northampton's probably the place to go. 
Uh, they specialise in social entrepreneurship as well, so it's all about business with a social impact as well and good conscience. So check them out, northampton.ac.uk. So also, we've teamed up with Fiverr. Now, if you don't know what Fiverr is, it's like a creative marketplace where you can kind of like pay people a small sum of money just to maybe write a blog post on your behalf, design a blog header, design an Instagram image or whatever. Infographics, all that sort of stuff. Even jingles for your podcast if you're deciding you want to compete with us. <laughs> Prices literally start at a fiver. That's why it's called fiver. And five dollars. So if you're in the UK, that's what, like three quid? Mm-hmm. Which is pretty good. Sometimes they'll up it, but as a starting point, think five pounds. Head over to fiverr.com. That's fiver with two R's on the end. F-I-V-E-R-R dot com. And when you get to your... Checkout. Checkout. That's the word I was after. You enter in the little coupon code... PN podcast, and we'll give you 20% off. How Decent. good are we? Decent. See, you tune in, we give you 20% off Fiverr. So with that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Obviously, because marketing's clearly your sort of area of expertise given your career path so far. Um, so when you're coming up with these ideas and you've classified as either a painkiller or a vitamin, which I really like, by the way, I think it's a great concept, mm-hmm. um, What's actually the different... How would you market a painkiller different to how you'd market a vitamin? So uh, a painkiller is more... Uh, it delves more into what I call a very a very much a need-based requirement. So mm-hmm. um, somebody who's got a tax issue, the tax consultant is their painkiller. They need to sort it out. They have to do it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're going to get charged or something's going to happen to them, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a painkiller. A vitamin is something where you would... Um, what I would say, if it's... Uh, it's like a fashion item, for example. If you develop a fashion item, that's more of a vitamin. It's just something that you, you want. You don't really need it. Some mm-hmm. people don't need it. They want it. And they want it because it makes them look good. They want to associate it with the brand. It's a different reason why they want it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand um, where that fits in. And a lot of vitamins are actually built on existing platforms and other things. So they're add-ons. So um, I'll give you an example. Um, people... Uh, a painkiller is um, actually a painkiller and a vitamin together would be the iPhone. The iPhone is amazing. It's great. It works. It does what it needs to do. It's not only a vitamin because people like to be associated with the brand, but it solves a problem. Makes things easy to do on on your phone. You can do your email. You can do your web and so on. But the case that you get around it, that is a vitamin. You don't really need the case, but you want the case to protect your phone. Mm-hmm. So it's just an add-on. It's already exi- on an existing product. So you can sell so many of those, but you can actually get away with not having a case if you don't want a case, for example. But having not having the phone, you need the phone. You need to make mm-hmm. your phone calls. So it's a slightly different way of looking at how some things are written. So a lot of them are what I'd call attachments to other products, other services, other platforms. It doesn't make them wrong. You can get great things that work on other platforms. Um, whereas uh, a painkiller is the platform itself. So let's say... Uh, uh, um, uh, eBay, for example, mm-hmm. eBay, it, there was a problem with buying and selling stuff. So eBay came up with the concept of this online auction site. So they developed this platform, they developed a platform. But then there was another company called PayPal. And PayPal realized that people couldn't pay online properly. So that was more like a vitamin. They were relying on people in eBay to make payments back and forth. But eBay was the one that created the pain, it sorted the pain out. But there was this one additional pain, which was this payment issue. So PayPal had this service. Mm-hmm. And eventually PayPal was bought out by eBay. Because it was a vitamin, it added in it, it just fixed nicely into what you're doing. Mm. So a lot of 
vitamins are kind of like uh, businesses which might tr uh, be exited or sold out and so on, whereas a painkiller is like a platform, like a Facebook or something that you build on top of like a Salesforce. That is the big platform. It's what I'd call the opportunity to make monopoly in that area, like an Uber. You build the platform and everything else goes on top of it. Right now, there's a lot of drivers who want hybrid cars. Um, so, the pain, so the platform is there by Uber, but the, pain, the vitamin is somebody supplying these uh, new drivers hybrid cars. Mm. And that's an extra added on. They need it, but they don't need to have it. They just want to have it because it's a need now built onto the platform. So each thing is qualified differently. And it all depends on the ideas. And when I see ideas, I try and classify them like that. But it depends on what it is. I'm, I'm talking more about tech but lots of different ideas and fit in different ways. And some of them cross over, actually. That's the thing, that the iPhone will cross over on both. You want to have it because you associate it with the brand rather than fulfilling a need, but you're fulfilling a need big enough for them to be associated with the brand and pay out the money for mm. it. So um, it all varies. I, I see a lot of it in B2B environments, for example. Uh, in a B2B environment, you see a lot of pains where people are suffering in terms of doing stuff, um, um, and you want to so solve it. So you solve it with a with a solution that's elegant enough for, the, to them, for them to save money and time. In a consumer proposition, it's slightly different. What kind of pain are you trying to solve? Uh, with Just Eat, it was people wanted to pay online and see all the menus. And when you're, a, when you're living in a different place, you don't know where to go. Um, mm. And it was a basic premise at that point um, of how people want to do it. But then there was a trend of people going online and doing it online much easier than making a phone call. And people didn't like making phone calls because they couldn't, you know, they can't get through to the people of what they want on the menu and so on. So there's different reasons for why, uh, what you are as a business. So you might start off as a painkiller business and move into the vitamin side of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean you stay there. But when you first initially start the idea, you need to know where you are at because then that will give you the idea of what kind of funding you need. Is it going to be a big enough uh, issue for people to pay to get and uh, use? And how did you sort of go about an analyzing that for your latest venture, the Fair Exchange? Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's another good question. So, um, well, I'll start that um, uh, just eat. Um, one of the things um, uh, I was sitting there with the, uh, I think it was Ben Holmes from Index Ventures, and um, I was a marketing director, uh, marketing director there, and he asked me, he goes, he goes to me, who's your competition? And I was like, uh, my competition for this is for Just Eat, obviously. And I was like, it's not Hungry House because they're kind of more London centric and we're national. It's not Domino's because they're pizza based. It's not the local independent stores because they don't know how to do e-commerce. And I had my BlackBerry on the table and I pushed my BlackBerry over to him and I said to him, that's the competition. And he goes, what do you mean? Go, it's the phone call. Millions of people today still make phone calls for ordering a takeaway. And I was like, what? and he goes, yeah. So we wanted to migrate people over from making phone calls over onto making orders online. And so that one insight at that time, the competition, the insight around people making phone calls for takeaways stayed with me for a while. And it stayed with me for a while. And um, even now, when you look at um, the latest Just Eat reports, they'll tell you that seven out of 10 people are still ordering their takeaway on the phone, which is why Just Eat is worth so much. And it's gone, gone and been worth 2.4 billion now because there's so much growth opportunity left in online platforms. Seven out of 10 people still order their takeaway um, uh, on the phone, according to Just Eat's latest uh, data and statistics. So the growth there was still massive. And that's like years back. But anyhow, coming back to Fair Exchange, um, three years after, you know, two, actually it was two and a half years after finishing with Just Eat, I bumped into a friend of mine and uh, he was making a website for a, a taxi company. And I was like, okay, what are you doing? Because I'm making this website for a taxi company, they need more work. I was like, okay, um, why are you just making a website and selling one website? There's loads of taxi companies out there. You can make a service that works across all the board, across the board. And 
uh, taxi companies, they don't like paying £600, £700 for a website and everyone's got one. It's kind of old school product. You know, every, every, you know it's, like, it's a solution, but you can make websites online very easily now, which is what a lot of the, lot of the guys are doing. Well, the cousin makes it for them, <laughs> which is usually the case. Um, and I sat there with him and I thought, what is it that the market wants? And what I realized is when I went out, out and spoke to some of these taxi minicab companies, they had their fingers burnt a lot by companies providing them solutions for more work, but they had to pay up front for it. And I was like, why do you, you know, you have to pay up front? And they didn't, they didn't get the work they wanted. And I was like, this needs to change, doesn't it? And uh, he goes, yeah, if it was a different way, then it'd be great. So then I got the idea of a pay-as-you-go service. So what we've created is a performance-based service where they only pay for what they receive. And they love that. Um, and then, then we realized that We'll do it on an invoicing model. We thought, okay, we'll invoice them a certain amount and then we'll get them, we'll do a service for them and they'll pay. They never pay the invoices. So we changed it as a pay-as-you-go model, an advanced pay-as-you-go model, a credit-based system. So we learned as we went along. But ultimately what I found out was that the small companies, especially minicab companies, they only, a lot of companies were focusing on web bookings and getting them bookings through the system and so on. But what they really wanted was phone calls. They wanted phone calls because that's what they're normally used to. They do their business on the phone and they have operators to deal with the phone calls they receive. And so they wanted more phone calls. Whenever I sat with them, underlying to everything is like, I want more work. It wrote, after going down deeper and deeper, it's like they just want more phone calls mm. and more phone calls of people wanting to order a cab. And that's the insight that was connected from there back down to just eat thinking that actually everybody still uses the phone. But two and a half years later with Apple... Uh, and Android phones coming out and the penetration of smartphones getting higher and higher and the ability um, for you to click basically a button or a link on a phone and make a phone call completely changed the game for us. So the insight was people still make phone calls, smartphone penetration is increasing and Apple and Android have allowed people to click one button so they basically turn telephone numbers into a hyperlink so you can click it and make a phone call that basically changed the whole game. And that was the insight that drove us to make Fair Exchange where we are now. I love how you put these different insights together. It's just amazing. But one thing I know when we spoke the first time you was talking about, um, I think maybe one of your nephews or something was graduating from university. But how do we kind of help students and graduates kind of have this mindset to kind of see these ideas, put ideas together to kind of, like you say there, just being able to have those insights and create something out of it? Yeah, I think the, the the best way to do that is to go out there and help people uh, and give. You know, a lot of times uh, when you're uh, a student or you're a, a graduate or you've done a course or something and you go into the world and you expect people to give you something now because you've done the course or you've done the training, but that's the wrong way to think about it. What you need to do is do the training, do the course, but you need to go out there and now give to the world with a, something that's tangible into the world rather than just a certificate that you've got that shows that you are competent in learning and doing stuff i think that's the key thing so once you go out to the world you need to find uh, problems that you can solve and i worked i mean i did a lot of stuff for free for example for companies and and i someone used to say to me actually you know why why are you working for that company go because i want to learn everything so if they ask me to make the tea i want to learn how to make the best tea if they ask me to photocopy, I want to be the best photocopy in the world. You know, if they ask me to wash the dishes, I want to make sure I wash the dishes the best way I can. And I want to, and I'll do all those things just to learn. I didn't know how to make a cup of coffee at the time. And when they asked me, I was like, well, I have coffee. I didn't, I didn't, didn't drink coffee. I'm a big coffee drinker now, but I didn't drink coffee. It's like, how do you make coffee? <laughs> so, you know, and that's the thing, right? You don't learn these things until you're out there on the job effectively or get into an opportunity where you can get work experience. And I find it, I find it very disappointing that people 
uh, young people, they expect stuff to happen on a plate for them. When you go to the education system, everything's given to you to do. But when you come out to the real world, you have to go and get it. And there's a slight difference between giving it to you and going to get it. And sometimes you don't know what to go and get, so you go all over the place, but you need to try. And I, I was me. I didn't know where to go. I was like, oh. I spoon-fed my education all the time until um, uh, I realized, that actually, I didn't have to be spoon-fed. And that's when, when I pretty much flunked my exams and said, actually, this is not right for me. Um, but at the same time, I realized that the fundamentals of what you learn at school is really, really important. You need to know the fundamentals of communication. You need to know the fundamentals of maths, science. Uh, you need to know how to write properly. You need to know how to do. You need to know how to work with other people, and so these fundamentals can be learned at school, but can also be learned in the real world. And in the real world, you just you know, if you try and do business with somebody and it doesn't go well, you just don't get the business. In school, if it doesn't go well, then you fail your exam and it's like a failure. But it's not really. So the difference between failure in school and failure in real life is very different. You, you know, I can meet somebody and it might not go well. I can learn a lot from that and go again. But in school, it's like going again. It's like, no, no, you've done your GCSEs now. You, if you want to retake, you can retake, but you've got to keep retaking. And it's like the push you keep pushing you back. And the whole mentality is actually you should be going forward now. Let's do something different. There should be a different way, a different exam now for you because you're doing it in a different way. You've learned a lot. But why go back? And so school is always about pushing you back to, to creating a systemized approach to passing systemized exams. Whereas in real life, you have much more flexibility. So I think when people want to learn how to come up with new insights is to have an open mind about everything and anything and travel and experience more things by getting work experience in different companies and helping people out. Um, I see a lot of people emailing me and the first thing they say email me is, how do you be successful? <laughs> uh, I'm like, okay, so that is a massive question to ask and I can't really answer that because there's so many things and I don't know much about you. What they should do is really email you and say, I've got a specific question about a specific thing and I need your advice about this specific thing. And that way, you, you're going to get feedback. That's quality feedback. But nobody, you don't talk, you're not taught that at school. Nobody teaches you how to ask somebody for something in school. But when you come into the real life, to ask something for, from something, you need to know how to ask it. And you need to be able to give first before you get. So I might have somebody who sends me a link about something and says, oh, gosh, I saw this link. It's really interesting about call analytics and tracking. I thought you might like it. Oh, by the way, I've just started something and I've got this real specific problem, X, Y, Z. What's your thoughts on it? There's a slightly different way of approach to life than it is, right, can you give me a job, please? You know, I had people, uh, when I interviewed them, and I asked, I said to them, so do you have any questions? I have a ton of questions when I meet anybody. <laughs> do you have any questions? And the first question was like, right, so how many holidays do you get? I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. Good question. Okay, you're already thinking about holidays. Uh, what's the, what's the, um, uh, what's the uh, attire that you wear here? What's, is it a uniform? Is it, do you need to come in a suit? I was like, okay. It's not really a big question, but okay, you can ask that question. But And the questions they asked me were not even, they didn't, they were just so uh, face, they were so much on the face that they weren't going deep into what they were trying to do or achieve. There was no questions around how to fit into the company, what the opportunities are for them to add value into the companies, if they added value into the company, uh, and, you know, what kind of, what is it, what are the KPIs? You know, what will I be judged against? I'm not getting a job. It's not just to get a job and now I've got a job because I'm a degree graduate. What is it that I'll be judged against? to make it better for you so I can make it better for you. So whenever I meet somebody, um, I ask them, so what is your KPI? You know, what is your key performance indicator? And then I try to work out how do I fit into your key performance indicator? What is it that you need to achieve that I can help you with? Because that's one of your key performances. How do I fit into that? Rather than actually, yeah, you're giving me the job and yeah, I'll do whatever you want me to do. 
Mm-hmm. That doesn't help. You got to be specific. You have to be specific in what you're going to be able to do. I teach this to my daughter, um, who played this game called the robot game, and uh, she jumps on my uh, shoulders, and I get her to um, uh, walk me around. But she has to come out, give me specific commands on how to do it. Um, and it's kind of like the basics of coding as well, understanding how coding works and how commands work and logic works. And I'm getting her to be more specific. It's like, yeah, Dad, can you just walk uh, down there, please? That's not going to happen. You need to be more specific. What would you like the robot to do? How would he move? Would you like to do? How many steps would you want them? Large steps, small steps. Which direction you want to go? What's the purpose of going there? What? So all these type of questions come out, and people aren't taught that at school. But mm-hmm. when you come out, you need to meet people who can do that and get in an environment that does that. And also try and get mentors. Try mm-hmm. and get people who've been there, done stuff, failed, succeeded. I failed a few times. You know, I had a couple of projects that go you know belly up, but I learned a lot more from those than I did from the ones that were successful. Um, about myself. Uh, so you need to learn more about yourself. In school, you learn more about how you pass exams, but when you get out, you need to learn more about yourself and who you are as a person, what your passions are, and then try and go some out into the world and add value in those areas of passion that you have. And then you'll find, you automatically will find things that connect together and you start connecting the dots. So the problem right now is that when people come out of school, they only have one dot, apply for a job. Mm. And that one dot doesn't connect to anything else except for back to their degree or their education. What they need to do is go out into the world and see lots of different dots and start connecting those dots. Oh, yeah, there's this business over here. There's a trend over here. Um, there's this new product that's going to be launched over here. In this country, this is really big right now. And uh, everything starts connecting and you start thinking about it in a different way. And you start mm-hmm. connecting those dots. And that's how you start to think in a different way to create new ideas. So, uh, big question. How do you become successful? <laughs> yeah, so I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Winding you up. Um, no, what I wanted to ask was actually um, you meant it's something that actually you mentioned really early on in the episode. I noticed that you really put an emphasis on value and providing value. Yes. And when you were talking about the inter- interview process just then, it came across very much to me that it's all about for the people interviewing all about ticking the boxes which i think is probably why the questions that they're asking are not very important because actually they're just going i need to ask a question because yeah. i've been told i have to ask a question yeah they see online that oh you must ask a question at the end of the interview and so okay go for any sort of default question <laughs> right exactly and um yeah i just kind of i was just wanted to, your take really on on where this gap is between people ticking the boxes and actually providing the value um, I think the gap, first of all, comes down to education. Uh, there's too many people in the careers games who teach you stuff and tell you to do stuff in a way to get a job, just to t- get tick boxes, like like you said. You know, I had a, uh, I was when I finished from uh, when the dot com bubble burst, I started doing a lot of contract work, and uh, I was I think I was twenty, twenty two at the time, and I went to Leeds for um, a marketing role. And the guy, the, the CEO, I met the CEO, and the CEO had my CV in front of him. And he said to me, uh, oh, I love what you've done. You've got a great experience, but I, I just don't know. You, you're, just, you're, you're very young. He actually said it. I, mean, I know it's illegal to say that now, but you, he said it at the time. He goes, you're very young. You haven't, you know, you're only 22, and you've got all these experiences. Great. It seems like you're really good at what you do. And I had my uh, age on the CV at the time. Um, and I said to him, you know, I sat there, I spoke to him and he goes, everything's great. But, and he stood there and he went silent for a bit. And I said, like, can you pass me the CV, please? And he passed me this, my CV. I uh, said, can you give me a pen, please? Across <laughs> my age and made myself 32 and pushed my CV back to him and said, now would you give me the job? Um, and he gave me the job. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, but that was me being ballsy and out there. And they don't teach you that at careers schools and what you need to do. They're like, 
that basically what the child problem is that when you go for a job, you're looking for them to choose you, but you need to choose yourself before you get them mm-hmm. to choose you as a person. Mm-hmm. So the tick box exercise, yes, you might need to do the tick box exercise because it's company policy. You know, they have these, especially the corporate, they have a company policy. You have to get the ticks, get the ticks, don't get me wrong. But know who you are first, because if you know who you are first, you're not going to go in there uh, begging for approval from them. You know who you are. You know what you're good at. Go in there strong uh, with a mindset that says, actually, I'm a value. I'm of real value to you. And mm-hmm. I can be of real value for this company. And when you go in that mindset, the checkbox exercise, yes, you might need to pass those, but get that done. Get it out of the way. But go deeper. Um, the other thing that they don't teach you at, um, uh, in the careers and all this other stuff is that sometimes you're talking to the wrong people. You know, uh, when you go to companies and you're trying to get a job or you're trying to, uh, even when you're trying to launch a product. I'll give you an example. You know, when I first started uh, Fair Exchange, we spoke to, we had, a, we had a profile of a customer and the profile of a customer was way different to what we have the profile of a customer now. And what we learned was that sometimes we're just talking to the wrong person. And we're getting the wrong advice and getting the wrong input. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can be going to the wrong company or sometimes you can be talking to the, a HR person who doesn't really know much about the role that you're going for. So they don't understand deep enough what it's, what it's about. So as an individual, you need to break out of the rules and regulations and actually try and speak to the guy who's actually going to hire you for real and try and connect with them. And on the internet now with LinkedIn and Twitter and everything else, there's no excuse not to be able to connect with the person you're going to be working with before mm-hmm. you even go to the interview. Because you can find out more about what they're doing and what they're looking at and then, you know, connect with them first and speak to them and get an understanding of what they're trying to do. Um, and they're probably the ones who are making a decision. These other tick box exercises are just tick box exercises. So it is challenging. I know it is because with the corporates, it's like that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I was in a school last week and they were doing like CV writing with the children and it was literally they were saying like who who's going for a job after university and like everyone put their hand up 100% wanted to be hired by someone but where do you see like the opportunity nowadays for sort of students and graduates to actually become entrepreneurs I know you took advantage of the website uh, of the internet early on but where would you say there's an opportunity today I think um, I, I, I try and give uh, as much opportunity for students myself um, through different uh, different projects that I have sometimes I have projects and I try and go on to I mean there's so many places where students are now getting um, work from is things like people per hour a platform where you can give freelance work if you're a creative for example or a designer or you're a writer or something you can actually put your services up on people per hour and get work from people and get freelance projects from people and learn about the commercial side of doing your projects with people so as a student you know if you've got a skill in something even if even if you're doing a degree in philosophy and history you can still write you can still form logic and uh, you can still do things and of value for other people then you can go on People Per Hour, for example, or you can go on uh, Student Gems, you can go on all these platform websites where you can put your services up there and say, this is what, these are the things I can do and get work and do it cheaply first. Just get work. Get work from people uh, and companies who are out there and they will give you the opportunity. And if you're good at what you do, then you might even develop something. So I think the first thing to do is look online and see where opportunities are where you can add back. The second thing is I think you can do more volunteer work. There's lots of volunteering opportunities out there. You can give your time up. If you're not doing anything, give your time up anyhow help other age, uh, agencies or companies or um, charities for that matter. They all need help. A charity is a business in its own way, in a different way. You know, you need to do marketing, you need to do sales, like you get funding. So you learn things in a different way there as well. So you actually need to, you can learn things from different entities without actually going in the real world of work in that sense and still bring that back. So there's opportunities for you to do that. Um, the third thing is, I think, if you have a skill and you know something, um, tell people... Tell the world about it. Get a blog. You know, put a blog up. 
write about it um, and get your thoughts out there. You have some presence online. Instead of using social media just to mingle with your mates and stuff like that, start thinking about using social media to get people to read your stuff, your ideas. You know, what are your ideas? And your ideas don't need to be fully formed, even if you don't have any ideas. My ideas way back when I was 19 are way different to what they are now. Every, every three to five years, your, your ideas, your things change. Your cells and your body changes change. So you change as a person physically, mentally. Um, so there's so many things that you change. So, but you need to start somewhere. And if you don't start somewhere, then you don't go on that journey. And I think the thing is starting on the journey. If you're looking at the journey, looking at the roadmap and going, okay, this is a big road, here's Spaghetti Junction, and you don't start, you're not going to go anywhere. If you're just standing there looking at it all the time, you're just looking at it. And that's what a lot of students do. They just look at it. Got Spaghetti Junction. It is Spaghetti Junction. Just get on one of the damn motorways and see where it takes you because then you're going to be able to see, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I went past that. And then you're going to actually start to go somewhere and you're going to go somewhere um, and what you need to do eventually, after you've gone in the spaghetti junction in the early days, is like where you're going, what you do. You don't know where you're going, right? You're not going in a straight line yet. But eventually, you'll start to learn to go more towards a straight line towards your goal and what it is. And you come out and say, actually, I'm taking this junction now. I know I need to take this junction off the spaghetti junction. I need to get off here now because I know where I want to go. But you need to be on it in the first place to do it. And these are ways of doing it. You just mentioned about sort of like building your platform up and getting sort of like an online presence. It'd be great if you could share that story you shared with me the other day about your wife and her YouTube channel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, actually. So um, uh, when my wife um, uh, gave birth to my daughter, she decided to stay home uh, with her and uh, look after her. So for three years, she was at home with my daughter. And uh, she, uh, my wife had trained as a makeup artist before this. And she used to work in banking and she didn't want to go back into banking after three years. And she decided, you know, she was thinking to me, she was saying to me, oh, I really don't want to go into banking or back into what I was doing before. I want to do something different. Um, she was trained as a makeup artist. She loved it. She had all the kit and everything else. And she desperately wanted to work for a company called Mac. And Mac is like this makeup co- uh, cosmetics brand mm-hmm. that's part of Estee Lauder Group. And uh, she was like, I want to work for this guy. So she did some phone interviews with them. And when she got into the phone interview, she got rejected every time only because she never had any retail experience. She's never worked in retail before. She's been in banking. She knew she had all the passion. She had everything else, but she never ticked the tick box. Mm -hmm. So this is an example. She never ticked that tick box. So she never got in. She got really disheartened. I thought, don't get disheartened. You know, this is okay. If you really believe in something, is this your dream? She goes, this is my dream. I really want to work for this company. I really want to do something with this company. So it's okay. So what is it that you can do? What is, what, what, you know, you're, what are you good at doing? And she goes, oh, I like doing makeup. I was like, okay. So I, I realized from my early insights, um, because I was quite big on YouTube before then as well, because I did some, I did a stint at uh, Video Jug, which is a how-to video site as well. And I realized a lot of people are wanting to learn how to do stuff online through video. So I connected that dot and said, why don't you teach people how to do makeup on YouTube? And she's like, oh, no, no, I can't do this. I don't know how to do a camera. I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to do this, that, that. All the excuses started coming out. And I was like, look, 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 why don't you just make the first video? So one day we um, uh, got our old camcorder, pulled it out, you know, um, and said, right, let's make, let's make, a, let's make a makeup tutorial. Uh, so we did a bit of research and noticed that a lot of people were doing this makeup tutorials online. Lots of girls were doing it all over in America as well. And so she started doing makeup tutorials online. Um, now she's got over three and a half million views, uh, thousands of people following her. And as a result of her doing a makeup tutorial, she's done hundreds of videos, um, Estee Lauder companies saw some of her makeup videos online and they thought she's really good at what she does. We're looking to fill a role in the company, which is quite unique in the online space. Let's invite her in for an interview. So she went in for an interview and they, she got the job as a result of her YouTube videos being the, 
the kind of fuel to get her to that point. And now she's managing 40 people in Estee Lauder companies with, uh, and living her dream of what she's doing and still doing YouTube videos and still adding value to the world. Um, and she's even got a freelance, you know, a freelance makeup business out of it as well. She gets freelance clients out of it all from all over the world wanting to work with her. But that's because she started on YouTube and she started to give out. Um, and that's a little story of how you have to give. And she did a lot of videos in the early days. And there was a lot of people going, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. And I said, look, don't worry about the naysayers. Don't worry about the armchair critics. Do what you think is right. Keep doing what you think is right and keep doing it. And now she's got lots of followers, people copying her videos and all sorts of things happening. And it's all interesting. And you learn. And she learned how to do video editing. And she, you know, she went to the Apple uh, video classes and started doing this. And all these little bits and pieces started learning all these new skills that you learn. And if you've not, if you're, if you're done a history and philosophy class at school and you're online and you need to learn how to video edit, then go and learn it because you can learn it. It's free. It's easy. You can do everything online these days. So don't sit there and not do it. If you want to do something, create something, you can create it. So that's the story of my wife with her YouTube videos and how that helped her get to the next stage of her life. And she's now loving what she's doing. And she's been there for just under five years now with Estee Lauder companies. That's wow. an amazing story. That's an almost a story of someone who decided to choose herself. And I guess what holds a lot of people back is that initial push. And I guess you were there to kind of get her to just put out that first video. Yeah, absolutely. And the first video was horrible. And um, we look back <laughs> at it and, uh, my God, it was so grainy and so difficult. And, but now she's telling me about all the latest editing techniques and cameras. And she's got, you know, three-point lighting systems. And she's got all this lighting and all this other stuff set up in the studio and this and that. And, you know, and my, now my daughter's learning how to edit videos. She's only eight years old. You know, so wow. she started to learn how to edit videos because she's like, her mom's doing it anyway. So she's like, well, why don't you sit down and edit this video and we'll show you how to do it. And she's editing videos and she's learning how to do it. And, uh, you know, and it, these, these are the things that these are the skills of life. You see, the literacy skills, I think digital skills are going to be the new literacy skills of the future. Yes. I love that. Absolutely. We totally agree can with we, that. Can we put that on Instagram? <laughs> yeah. Of course you can, yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, we've barely scratched the surface, but we're going to have to start wrapping up now because uh, I know you're a busy guy. Um, but we've got two questions which we ask every guest. Go for it. Uh, the show is Powerful Nonsense. So the two questions are, what's the most powerful piece of advice you've ever been given? And the second question is, what's the biggest load of nonsense you've ever heard? Okay. The most powerful piece of advice is to believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult for you to believe in yourself when you've got so many naysayers around you. And you need to have really solid belief in yourself. And this is the thing with my wife. She never had the belief in herself. I gave her the belief. And you need to have the belief in yourself. If it comes from outside, that's, got, that's useful. It comes from a partner or, or friends, that's really good but you need to really believe in yourself. Whatever you do in your life, believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will believe in you. Good That's stuff. Great. And the biggest load of nonsense? The biggest load of nonsense is that, um, that you can get rich quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the reason I say that is because a lot of kids, you know, they'll ask me about, oh, right, I like your car and, you know, and they'll ask about the last 10 minutes of your life and they're like, well, it, take me, it took me 15 years to get here, mm -hmm. not last 10 minutes. So the biggest load of nonsense is people who claim that you can get rich quick. Um, and there's a lot of stuff outside uh, online right now where you read stuff about people trying to start businesses and stuff like, yeah, the student millionaire and this. It's, doesn't, it's hard work. It's mm -hmm. doing the right things at the right time and getting yourself out there. So the biggest load of nonsense is don't believe, um, don't just 
look at people last the biggest load of nonsense is when people look at everyone's life and they look at the last 10 minutes of their life rather than everything they've done to build up build up to that life mm-hmm. that's the biggest load of nonsense you said you was a bit of an avid reader obviously in pc world and you probably read a lot more books since then are there any sort of maybe a couple of books that really stand out for you that you think are sort of like must reads for young people yeah i think um uh, nasim uh taleb's books are fantastic black swan uh, fooled by randomness fantastic books amazing books really deep um, I think Peter Thiel, who's a big investor and a VC, he's got a book called Zero to One. It's a fantastic book. Uh, I've just read it recently. Zero to One is an amazing book. Um, the, another book that I'm actually currently reading, which I think is quite a staple book for a lot of schools, actually, and universities, but they read it anyhow. It's called the Edward de Bono's Six Thinking Hats. I don't know if you've read that. No, I haven't, actually. I've heard of the Six Thinking Hats, though, actually. It's a very clever technique, actually. Yes, and... The, I've started reading this uh, more and more now because what happens is that uh, when you have meetings and when you're when you're discussing with other people, things turn into an argument rather than actually factual and clear uh, clarity. So the Edward de Bono's Six Thinking Hats is really really interesting. It's something I'm going to teach my daughter because I realise some schools are learning it, but also it's applicable across schools, kids, right through to you know big organisations. So if I was to say um, uh, the books that you should read, Six Thinking Hats. Um, zero, zero to One back from Peter Thiel and I think the most famous book that I've read that started me off in everything was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey mm-hmm. it's a classic book most people have read it but if you've already read it um, uh, go back to it again and read it because I love the way that really started me off on this kind of learning um, and educate myself and knowledge is really important read as much as you can I've got like a I've got a massive uh, massive book library on Kindle and even in you know I even Cap books right now. In fact, the books I've got in front of me right now, you know, I got the book called The Checklist by Atul Gwandi, The Mom Test, The Facebook Effect, and all these books are always in front of me. And I don't, the thing with books is you don't have to read all of them in one go. You can dip in and out of books and you can summarize certain books, but you can get certain points. And my wife always says to me, Why do you read so many books? I go, And sometimes you don't even read them all. You should read them end to, uh, start to end. I go, well, If I buy a book for seven pounds or ten pounds and I get three ideas out of it, I've made my money back millionfold from mm-hmm. that. And so that's what it's about. So dipping in and out of books. Um, but I recommend, um, I mean, I'm reading Six Things in Hats, like I said, Stephen Covey's book. And the Peter Thiel's Zero to One, I highly recommend that book. That's a really short, quick book. And it gives you the kind of uh, nitty gritty of tech startups if you're in the tech world. I feel like, like Wayne said, we've only scratched the surface. Didn't really get into too much about Just Eat and then what you're doing with Fair Exchange. So we're definitely going to have to have you back in the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm happy to go into more detail around my experiences in Just Eat and uh, business in general as well and so on as well. And uh, Good luck with the show, and I hope people got some uh, good ideas and thinking points around how I started doing things, and you know uh, how the mindset is very important. Not having knowledge is important. Having a mindset is important. I think that's the biggest part of uh, anything. You know, if you have got the right mindset, you can go out and uh, an open uh, and learning mindset, then you can go out there and carry on learning. I mean, this is the other thing about schooling, which I want to say, which is I. I really, it's a big bugbear of mine. People think when you go to school, you go to uh, have your education, your education stops there. Your education does not stop at school, does not stop at university, does not stop at college. Your education only st- really starts when you get out into the real world mm-hmm. and you read the books, you read, get the knowledge from the real world. It carries on. And this is where this education system says, right, you've done your bit now, that's it. You know, you have to keep improving, keep learning more stuff. Things change all the time. And if you want to be agile in the real world and carry on doing stuff, Uh, And being of value for the world, you have to keep learning and educating and creating knowledge and applying it. 
Another great interview on the Powerful Nonsense podcast. What a dude. What a dude. And we're hoping to get him back on soon because we have barely scratched the service. Not Sur- at all. Service? Surface. Of, <laughs> uh, the cervix? The... <laughs> I hope not. Service, no. <laughs> anyway, before we go, we want to let you know about a great deal we got set up with Junior Ogunyemi, who's been on the podcast promoting his book, Young Fed Up Professionals. And he and also forwarded us Ash's information as well. Yes, he did. So thank you, Junior. Um, he's putting on a one-day event called The Great Escape, um, which is normally £298. all about escaping the day job and the rat race. But if you head over to powerfulnonsense.com forward slash The Great Escape and then type in the promotional code POWERFUL, you'll get 100 quid off. So it'll be 198 for a whole day event. We're hoping to be there yep. if we can. Um, and it looks like it's going to be great. So head on over to powerfulnonsense.com forward slash the great escape. Promotional code powerful. Thanks very much for tuning in, guys. We're very grateful to have you listening to us, and we will see you soon. See you later.